Hey, just want to remind you, we're going to have DealMaker Live this year in Dallas, Texas, July 16 to 17. Head over to DealMakerLiveEvent.com to grab your tickets. It's going to be in person or virtual, whichever you prefer. I'll see you there. Well, hello, DealMakers. Welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Shout out to Becca Hanegard, one of our mentoring students. She was working with full-time syndicator Matt Bronner, closer first deal. This is an interesting one. It's a 100-unit quality in motel in Arizona that she is converting to a 65-unit multifamily building. Now, what's even more interesting about that, that's exactly the topic of our show today, talking with Serge about how he's doing exactly that. As a strategy, converting hotels, which are much more affordable now due to COVID, and, and converting them into multifamily, which are much more valuable. Now, Becca shared that it was not easy to raise money because it's not a normal multifamily. It's, well, it's a hotel, but she got it done. She's also planning on relocating her family to Costa Rica later in the year. And when she does that, we're going to be sure to have her on the podcast. And we're going to find out more about her journey there as well. Also, a shout out to our podcast reviewer on iTunes, Nick LaMagna, uh, said, Michael is a great host with lots of content. I'll include Garrett with that. Garrett, you're a pretty good host as well. He gives direct answers and steps on how to accomplish success in multifamily real estate. So I appreciate the shout out on, on, uh, for us here. Nick, I appreciate that. And speaking of Garrett, what's going on? What's up, Michael? Hey, so we're just starting uh, closing on this property in northern Atlanta that we just finished a capital raise on for that. And I know that one of the things that you had to deal with early on is negotiating with lenders. Share with us how what's the best way to negotiate with lenders to get the best terms possible. So you guys, you got to understand that if you want to do real estate, you got to get really good at the debt side. If you think about any kind of deal that you're doing, that takes up the majority of the capital stack. So I put a ton of focus into making sure that we have the best terms and the best situation going into our deal. In this particular deal, what happened last year during COVID is all the debt, all the bridge debt left the market. There was a lot of that going on. So we were using agency debt. We were going with Freddie Mac debt. And we were doing you know, that all last year. This year, we heard that the bridge debt was coming back. But it looked a lot different than the year prior to COVID. So in order to get the best terms, I went to a mortgage broker who knows all the new situations going on with bridge debt. They took our deal and they shopped it to 10 different people, which was great because I got back seven term sheets that were all competing against each other. And then I was able to go one by one, look at them, go back to the, the top three or four and start to negotiate the actual terms within the term sheet. And so that was a really good strategy for us to get a bridge debt product that actually had an interest rate less than 4%, which I've never seen before. A lot of those bridge debt deals that you're, you're buying it in the, you know, five and a half to 6% range. So this was a big win for us. You know, getting the debt right is so, it's so important. In early days when we got started, we're like, we're going to lock in low interest rate at 10 to 12 years which sounds good at the time. And back then, low interest rate was five and a quarter. Oh, geez, were we wrong? And more importantly, we couldn't exit. We're getting unsolicited offers. We want to refinance because it's added so much value. Now we can't because we have 10-year debt. They have to pay a giant prepayment penalty. So getting the debt right and actually thinking about the exit strategy is super important. Yeah, because what happens is people, they're like, well, the interest rate could rise. I want to make, sure, I want to make the safest play, which I'm going to get in there and I'm going to fix the interest rate and then I'm set. And then they, they model in a five-year exit on a 10-year loan with a huge prepayment penalty. So either you have the interest rate rising, that's one risk, 
The other risk that's inherent if you go that route is that you have a huge prepayment penalty and people don't think about that. So if anything goes sideways, your operation goes sideways or you get a a big offer and you want to exit and you're you're in one of these fixed rate loans, you're just kind of stuck unless you want to take a million, $2 million haircut. So focusing on flexibility and fantastic terms is really something that we we try hard on every time. And and I think I think that's probably the better route to go depending on where the where you're at in the market cycle. So flexit flexible exit is super important, but you're dealing with floating interest rates, which is always in risk. How do we address that? So you can buy an insurance cap. The way you do this is you underwrite to a specific interest rate. So let's say the interest rate going in for us on this deal was you know 3.8%. Okay. But it could float. So I'm going to in, I'm going to underwrite it to 4.2 or 4.25 or 4.5% and then I can buy it what's called an insurance cap down to that. So if by chance the interest rate floats up too high, you're covered by this insurance that you buy at closing, then you're ultimately kind of simulating a fixed rate anyway. So it's a really cool strategy that you can use on the deals that you're getting to stay flexible and also not have that interest rate screw up your deal. Yeah, I love that. So guys, be very uh, cautious and, and aware of your exit terms when you're doing uh, doing debt because you might be happy with it right now, but in three to five whatever years when you're trying to exit, you're not going to be as happy as you are now. So let's uh, let's pivot here to our guest, Sergey Shukat. He's a full-time real estate investor specializing in large uh, 100-plus unit multifamily repositioning deals. He calls himself a former W-2 slave and he left the rat race in 2012 with a whole bunch of single-family houses and then swapped them over the next eight years into a thousand plus multifamily units. He did it interesting and all without syndicating any of these deals. I'd wonder where it was if he did, which means that he continually starting to upgrade his multifamily. Now, as you know, COVID has kind of sort of decimated the hotel industry. Now, while travel is definitely roaring back, a lot of hotel operators were unable to survive and therefore the value of hotels has gone down significantly. And one of the exciting things that Serge has been doing lately I mean, I say lately, last couple of years. He's actually started doing it before COVID, which really set him up to take advantage of this amazing opportunity, is buying distressed hotels on the cheap and converting them to apartment buildings, which of course now are valued very highly. And so Garrett and I wanted to learn more about how Serge is doing that. So with that, let's get right into the show with Serge Shukat. You're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host, Michael Block. Serge, welcome to the show today. Thanks for having me, longtime listener. Big fan. Best podcast in the multifamily yes. business. And Garrett's been a great addition, by the way. Well, he certainly has. <laughs> Thanks, Serge. <laughs> I paid and, him to uh, say that, guys. Yeah, that's right. That's outstanding. Outstanding. That we we want to know a little bit more about your journey from you know W two to full time. And then we want to do want to hear a little bit about your okay, a lot bit about your strategy of converting hotels into multifamily. That's pretty cool, and uh, that's certainly due to most likely uh, what's going on with COVID and maybe even beyond. So I want to definitely get into that. But but you have you know one of many examples of people who have quit their jobs with, with multifamily. So talk to us a little bit about that. How did you get started? How did it come about? Uh, so I was a corporate warrior from uh, 1999 all the way to, uh, what, 2012. So 13 years in the rat race. Uh, knew probably month one that that wasn't for me. So it was kind of a, uh, 
a search of uh, what's going to be the next thing, what's going to be what gets me out of it. And growing up in the Silicon Valley and seeing, you know, a lot of people jumping into tech and and making instant millions, I thought that was going to be it. I thought it was going to be uh, starting a internet company, um, website, uh, and I and actually did that, started a few, but realized that that entrepreneurial didn't fit my talents the best. You know, I was good at buying stuff and selling stuff for a little bit more, right? And I was doing that since I was a kid. So uh, I needed something that I could buy and sell consistently and that uh, replaced my day job, right? And my day job was a, a corporate controller at a software company. I had moved my way up to that position from uh, public accounting all the way to the point where by 2009, we purchased a smaller company in Mesa, Arizona, which gave me the opportunity to move out from uh, the Silicon Valley to, uh, to Arizona. And uh, right around that time, the whole world collapsed with the uh, Great Recession, saw the writing on the wall, started buying single families, purchased those um, pretty much at a clip of uh, 5 to 15 a year. For the next five years until uh, on paper, it seemed that the cash flow replaced my income. And at the exact same time, uh, a, a larger listed company came and, and purchased us. And, and uh, I knew the writing was on the wall for me being in the uh, admin slash accounting group that uh, we were repetitive. And, uh, and that was a great exit for me to jump into real estate full time. Yeah, it's awesome. And with so many people, you got to start with single family houses. And uh, how many how many houses did you have at that point? I'm doing some simple math. It's uh, quite a bit. Yeah, I got up to um, about 60 to 70, somewhere in between there. And uh, we were buying and selling the whole time. So it'd be, you know, you uh, buy two, um, one appreciates more than the other. You sell that one and buy another three, you know, refinance two of them and buy another two, sell one and buy another three. So it's kind of that progression. And the whole time the market kept increasing, increasing. And the whole while we were building network relationship brokers, the whole nine to be able to continue the deal flow. And the deal flow continued well into 2016, 2017, but by 2012, we had dabbled in our first multifamily, which was um, a, what was it? It was a, a 32 unit in a tertiary market that was uh, beholden to a jail. It was a uh, far out market. Not, I wouldn't say far out. Gary, you know, Florence, Arizona, right? It's got, it's got our big penitentiary. Yeah. And that was the whole industry over there. So we lived and died by the jail and got a good taste of uh, economic impact that industry can have, right? And at the same time, Arizona had uh, what SB 1070, where you know they were checking papers, and um, my tenants were primarily those tenants at the time. And so you know uh, the ups and downs of the market. But uh, I learned that uh, if your basis is low enough, nothing matters. Nothing matters if your basis is low enough. Uh, low price per door solves all ills, uh, at least at that time. How do you know that it's low enough price per? Like, what kind of methods do you get into to to find these these types of things? Because you obviously it takes time. But you're you're kind of a deal junkie, which I love because I am myself. And uh, so we we relate a lot on that level. But everybody's got their own strategy, their own technique around around sourcing those and like looking and analyzing them. What's what's kind of yours? <laughs> 
So I'm, I used to be, when I first started, it was all about just, just the cheapest deal, right? So if the cheapest deal on, you know, uh, the MLS, for example, is a hundred thousand, I'm looking for something for 75 and that made me feel good, right? Very, very basic, very unsophisticated, right? And it served me well because, you know, housing was so cheap and rents didn't go down, right? So you're buying at 60, rents are 1400. Well, you know, those numbers work, right? And the cheaper you buy it, the higher the rent, it's that easy. Today, and as the market evolved, you realize that uh, price per door kind of has nothing to do with it, right? Because your underwriting completely changes. So uh, I just want to be what I'm what I'm looking for today in a price per door is more of a, a floor. What's my floor if the market tanks on me, right? If I'm left holding the bag and this asset is no longer a favored asset, which which multifamily is today, right? Today, if you're over whatever 50, 60 units and you're in most markets, there's a buyer for you, right? And he's probably going to overpay. But I remember the times when that wasn't the case, where you couldn't move multifamily in a tertiary market, where tertiary markets or certain markets, even Phoenix, stopped building altogether, right? So for me, it became kind of the inherent value, the intrinsic value. What does it cost to rebuild this unit, right? What does it cost to rebuild this unit? And the reason that gave me comfort was because I knew one way or another that building would come back. Right. I knew that it's not going to be that cycles don't last forever, a down cycle or an up cycle. And you know that building's going to come back. So if you know you can't rebuild this two bedroom for less than 120,000, there's some comfort in knowing that you bought it for 75, right? Even if your rents are only 750 today, right? You know that your rents are going to increase. You know that your cost of building is going to increase, right? And so today I'm just looking at, at price per door as a, metric of what are other investors buying price per door? What is my rebuild cost in this market? Right. And what's my worst case scenario? But other than that, it doesn't give you much more comfort, right? Knowing that you bought it at 30 a door when everybody else is buying at 50, good for you. Right. Yeah. You know, it's so true. We were buying at stuff at 32,000 a door in Memphis, like several years ago. Right. And now we just bought one in Northern Atlanta, for two hundred thousand a door, I was like, "Are we nuts?" But like, basically, it, it it really depends on the underwriting and the numbers, right? It's not the price per door; it's the returns that you get from those investments, and it's uh, it's so true. Like, Serge, tell tell us a little bit more about the thing that you're recently doing, which is converting hotels to multifamily. That's really interesting. Well, first of all, is this opportunity been around for a long time, or was it maybe uh, made possible through COVID or accelerated? Uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, about the opportunity. Well, the opportunity has been around for a long time, and I had been preparing for a number of years. It's not something that we just jumped into lightly. The opportunity was not around because hotel valuations were so high pre-2000, let's call it 18, 17. So you could buy multifamily cheaper, quality multifamily cheaper than a hotel. Hotel cap rates were 5 6%. They were low, and you were running a business. So why go through all the hassle? When you can passively buy a multifamily, let your property manager come in, do your plan and make money while you sleep, right? So why would you even look at a hotel? But come around 2018, 19 with the run up in multifamily, multifamily became so expensive. It got to the point where, you know, I was underwriting and, and walking these deals 
and the real estate was junk, right? So I'm sitting here saying, okay, now I got to pay stuff I used to buy for 40 a door that I was renting for 900. Now I got to pay 100 a door and rent it for 1,000, right? So it was really hard for me to get around that. And in 2018, 19, I became less bullish on the market. It felt like it had run its course. And I probably would have sat on the sidelines with multifamily for a while because that was my position, that, that prices were overinflated. I think COVID, in essence, bailed us out in that regard, multifamily-wise. I think we were, we were really getting frothy. And so at that point in time, I started looking at, for fun, really, I had a couple of brokers that were friends of mine, hotel brokers, and said, hey, look at this deal. And I said, oh, I'm, not a, I'm not a hotel guy. I'm a, I'm a multifamily guy. Why would I look at this deal? Well, no, this one has all kitchens. It would make a great multifamily. And I started looking at it and realized that the hotels were trading still at a fairly low cap, but on its business income, on its NOI. And what sets hotels apart is that there is a lot of really bad operators in the motel space, in the hotel space. There's a lot of really bad operators and there is a lack of uh, competent property managers, right? So you look at the hotel space, 95% of these guys are self-managing their assets, okay? And probably half or more of those guys are out of state, right? And the majority of those guys have five to 10 hotels, right? So they're operating a, I started underwriting these assets and looking at 100 unit hotels and it didn't matter the quality, right? It could have been a Marriott or a Hilton. And they're doing on 100 units, they're doing 300,000 NOI. And I'm sitting there saying, in a 100-unit apartment complex, I'm doing a lot better than 300 NOI. And they're, and they're doing 300 NOI on 2 million top line. So I'm saying, God, there's a lot of inefficiencies here. Could this work for multifamily? So I started uh, researching the zoning and the permitting and what it looked like in different cities. And again, these were a lot of barriers to entry, which I like, right? So pre-COVID, actually, I was able to get the first one in contract, which was very difficult. I had been making offers on probably five to six, maybe more pre-COVID. And not being in the hotel space, I just couldn't get these brokers to take me seriously. There were, there were still a lot of buyers and they're just like, you know, you're a multifamily guy. What are you going to do with this? Do you have the debt? Couldn't get them around. So they were basically using me to set a floor on the price, you know, like they do with inexperienced multifamily guys, the guy that swoops in from California, owns no assets in your state, and he thinks he's going to get a good deal, right? They're going to use him as a floor for the real buyer. That was happening to me. So there was a lot of frustration. And then finally, I made some inroads with a broker. The perfect asset came up. It was a 70 unit in a market I was already in, had all kitchens. Uh, half of them were true one bedrooms. And it was in a market that was very easy permitting wide. And so I went very aggressive on my offer, still almost lost it. They still used me as a floor. And I just went aggro on the broker. I'm all, dude, I know what you're doing. May, what, what price do I got to pay? You know, I want this to stick. I want to prove that doing deals with me is easy. And I got that deal. And that deal was in February, 2020. And it was supposed to close in March, by the end of March, 2020. So you know what happened in March, 2020. All of a sudden, Corona breaks out. And you know Hilton's share price dumps 75%. And I'm sitting here telling the broker, 
how am I supposed to pay? You know, what, what makes you think that the value of this 70 unit hasn't gone down when, you know, the most storied brand names in America are off 70%. So there's going to be a retrade. And I, and I know and I'm not a retrader. You know, I pride that, you know, when I, when I make a deal, the price, it sticks. But in this case, I actually took the leap of faith bought it with a retrade that was about 15% off the purchase price. The owner at that point just, just wanted out. He was out of state, purchased it, did the entitlements, brought in a multifamily property manager, implemented a system, which I had been dabbling with as far as uh, property management software and kind of doing this hybrid of multifamily. Because when you buy a hotel asset to convert to a multifamily, it's going to take a regular property manager a lot. It's going to take them months and months to lease it up. It just doesn't happen quickly. You know, they operate on, on property manager time. So I found the most efficient way to do that was to operate it as a quote unquote Airbnb, really a short term rental. And then give the property manager units to slowly lease up. So you keep the revenue flowing. And we had learned how to do this because we had been operating Airbnbs in all of our multifamilies since 2012, since Airbnb started, right? So we had been operating, figuring out, you know, what furniture to use, what, what you know, uh, how to do the, how to remodel for that target class compared to the multifamily segment, uh, what property management software to use, what locks to use, you know, how to do this. And so by, by the time we did it, uh, we were fully prepared. Let me get this straight. So you used some of the multifamily you had up to that point. Did you Airbnb all of it, some of it? And why did you do that? So small percentage. So for example, on a 60 unit, maybe we would do 10. On a 100 plus unit, you know, it would vary. Each multifamily that we owned at the time had a set aside of between three to 10 units that were Airbnbs. And it was really just a strategy to maximize income, right? Because what we were looking for was the sweet spot right? That served all contingencies. Contingency A is to keep it passive and allow the property management team and the payroll that I already had on site to manage the Airbnb. So I don't, I don't, I didn't want to hire a new manager. I didn't want to rebuild processes. I wanted to just do the listing, control the remodel and let the property management team on site manage it. So to do that, I couldn't do more than three to 10, right. depending on how good the team was on site. The second uh, consideration was the exit, right? Fannie Mae, and it varies over time, doesn't like short-term rentals, right? I realized that my exit buyer was more likely than not going to come in with GSA debt. So I wasn't going to overload these properties with you know, 50% Airbnbs where they couldn't figure out how to underwrite it, right? So each property had its own. And basically what I was trying to do was to eat up the loss to lease, eat up the vacancy, and eat up the property management inefficiencies, right? That that exist by basically getting this property to operate at its maximum efficiency. And in the process, we were learning how to run a hotel, basically, right? Uh, with each multifamily that we bought, we go through this, uh, the, uh, all the pains. And so by the time 2020 hit, right, we were uniquely positioned to move on these kind of assets. What's some of the biggest challenge that you had to undergo when you got into this? You talked about getting the permitting and the and the zoning. What are some of the things that that uh, you know someone thinking about is oh, sir, just it's great. I'm going to get into it tomorrow. Like, what are the, some of the things that people need to be aware of? It's not. It's definitely not for everybody. There's so many little things that you wouldn't think of 
The big one is property management, and that continues to be a big challenge. A traditional multifamily property manager, and we all know them. I mean, some are good, some are not that great. It kind of depends on the regional you're going to get, right? You get a good regional, your asset's going to kick ass. You get get a bad regional, your asset's going to tank, right? But asking them to do something that's outside of their comfort zone, outside of their process, a lot simply won't do it because the short-term guests are very, very picky and you live or die by those reviews, right? On a long-term multifamily, when I have a 200-unit multifamily, I don't really care what Google review says because you can pick any of these multifamilies and they all have bad Google reviews, right? They all suck. You could mismanage your 200-unit and still have a 2x multiple on the back end, right? There's so many ways to screw it up and still win. If you're good at remodeling, if you, you, know, if you can make it look good on the outside, if you can raise rents on 10% of the units, you'll make a lot of money. And if you buy right, right? The three things that deal junkies need to be good at, you got to buy right, you got to remodel right, and you got to know you're underwriting, right? If you could do those three, but you can't operate, you don't have a good property manager, you'll still make money. But in the short-term game, it's all about operations, right? You can find deals, but if you can't operate it, right? you're not going to make money. If you stack up bad reviews, nobody's going to go there. So the operations are the biggest challenge where for multifamily, there's still a challenge. They're a lot easier to work your way through it. And you have a, you have a longer timeline. You can work your way. You can stumble through it over a year, get it right. It could take you a year and a half, two years to get it right. But once you do, you've created that exit, you've created that value, right? Whereas in short term, you always got to have it right. You can never take your foot off the wheel. But the reward is cash flow. The reward is cash flow. And exit. If you've given the next guy the, if you've shown him how it can be a multifamily, you've now created a multifamily exit, which is 2x the hotel exit today. Well, now what you're doing is you're, you're starting with an even lower basis than anyone can even touch, right? So you're, you're way ahead on that side. So yeah, there is, you know, their operations have to work, but you know, at a certain point, I imagine that kind of changes over where it's like, well, you know, you, so you have, you have that kind of change. Or at what point does that change over kind of happen? Where you are like, all right, now we're kind of like fully multifamily because you're kind of, you're kind of bridging it, right? Like you're starting with Airbnb. That's a bridge into the full multifamily. You don't want to lose the cash flow. At what point does that change over? And then at what point do you look at exiting this thing? Uh, those are all Great questions. So regarding the exit, I'm about to find out how that first one is now listed, right? And we've had some action. It is a uh, three and a quarter multiple from what I bought it for a year and a half ago. Uh, broker's telling me we're getting a lot of action and we should get it, okay? As far as the bridge, the way I did that one isn't how I'm doing them now. The way I did that one is I gave the whole building to the property manager. I, I managed the remodel. I made it look pretty. I gave it to the property manager. And after three months, they were about 40% occupied. I said, that's it. You know, I'm not letting these units sit. These were going into peak season. And that's when I kind of uh, bridged it. So everybody's going to have his own kind of strategy. A lot of it, Garrett, is going to depend on the type of asset and the unit mix you have, right? So if you have a unit mix where, so the 168 unit I purchased in Phoenix over a year ago or about a year ago now, those were true, you know, one bedroom and two bedrooms already, right? They were already set up in that style. They had full kitchens. 
So those are a little bit easier to lease. But then again, they have that much more value as short term. So it's always hard to strike that balance. It depends if you're a cash flow investor or you're in it for the exit, right? Personally, I'm in it for both, right? So I want to maximize the cash flow while I hold it, knowing that it's going to constrain my exit, right? So what's going to happen with Phoenix, for example, my exit's definitely going to be a multifamily buyer, right? But he's going to have to finish the conversion himself because I'm never going to have more than 50% that are long-term leases, right? The good news is in today's market, I'm not going to take that much of a haircut on valuation because I've done the permitting, right? I got the the multifamily property manager in place and I already got half of it that have long-term six-month leases in place. The issue is they're probably not going to be able to go straight into GSA debt right? They're probably going to have to do bridge, right? So they're going to have to underwrite it maybe half a million dollars less than they would otherwise. But I'm going to get the cash flow during that time. And maybe they won't have to underwrite it less because it's Phoenix. It's a, it's a decent location. You know, it's close to every, so it's a balance. And I don't know the answer until I've exited a couple of these, right? So we'll find out. I'm, I could either be the smartest guy in the room or the dumbest guy in the room doing all this work <laughs> because the, let's be clear. The majority of my portfolio, a thousand units plus is multifamily. It's not, I'm not a hotel guy, right? I'm just dabbling right. in this because I'm trying to play to my competitive advantage, right? I don't want to compete with Nighthawk equity, right? That's got investors, got a stack of investors and you see a deal you like, you can go, agree. I don't want to compete with you, right? I can't compete with you. I can't do that many deals that you can do. And there's a lot of guys in Phoenix like that, right? Established players. So I'm not going to go into Phoenix and compete highest and best on 30 offers, right? For a class B asset that needs all 200 units remodeled. And I got to do all this heavy lifting. I got to buy it at an in-place four cap, you know, spend two and a half million dollars in, in CapEx to then bring it to a five cap and then have the next guy buy it at a four cap. I don't want all those risks. I don't want all those risks. That's not my competitive advantage. I'm not going to get a good deal in that market today. Okay. Unless it's in a market that people aren't looking at, but in this hotel market, right. I can get quality choice assets, right. I'm buying one in Tempe, one in Chandler. These are markets that are a plus plus, in our, in our market, right. That I couldn't touch as a, uh, multifamily guy. You're spending 250 K per door. Here I am buying 2000 plus assets, 90 a door with no competition because what's the syndicator doesn't want that. How are you going to underwrite that? He doesn't know how to underwrite that. How are you going to convince your investors about that? Right. How are you going to get debt on that? Right. He wants nothing to do with that. It's too much work. Right. So I'll come in. I have a built the hotel relationships with the brokers. Now they're all coming to me, you know, wanting deals. And what I've learned is all of these assets are held by the same profile of investor. And so I know how to speak their language now. And so the deals are plentiful, no problem with deal flow in this, in this segment. Yeah, I, I love that. And plus, if, if, I, if I heard you correctly, you, you're, you're getting a 3x multiple of what you paid, what, a couple of years ago, if I heard you correctly. So the, the increase is pretty substantial. What I, I love repositioning existing assets to some other use or uh, converting an existing multifamily in Airbnb. There's a you know, guy that uses it as a strategy, right? If you figure out other ways, other different profit centers, like putting up a cell tower or a billboard or trash valet, you're buying fair market value. 
you seem to be overpaying, but you got something up your sleeve that no one knows about, right? It's like you. You're like, why is this? Why is Serge paying so much for this hotel? Like, what an idiot. Meanwhile, you got something up your sleeve, right? You know, you know, you're repositioning the asset. Now, let me ask you: is, Could you be able to do that without turning it into an Airbnb? I mean, if you had a if you had a property manager who could lease up, whatever, 15, 20 units per month, if they could do that. Right within a year, they could have a hundred. They could have sixty, seventy, whatever, eighty percent leased up. Now you're juicing it, right? You're accelerating it, but not everybody's going to be capable of of doing that. Do you think your strategy would still work if you didn't do the Airbnb? It would. It definitely would, and it may be a better strategy, right? Because you're making your nut on the exit, right? And that's that's the exit that they want. So. I'm very conflicted in this regard. Uh, this next batch of assets that we're purchasing, I'm conflicted on how how to roll with it. Uh, so definitely, definitely, that's that's in consideration. But once you do it, the short term route, and you see the cash flow, the cash flow is three x what it is as a multifamily, like three x. Like uh, my 168 unit in Phoenix in the month of March did 450 thousand top line, right? So to put that in perspective. 450,000. I mean, it's not going to do that every single year. So as a hybrid, right, it's going to do approximately $3.8 million top line, and it's going to do 1.6 to 1.7 NOI, which in Phoenix today for even one, one and a half million NOI, you're paying $34 million, right? 32 to $35 million, right? Uh, this is an asset I bought for $15 million. And it's an asset that underwrites as a multifamily to one and a quarter to 1.4, right? So one and a quarter to 1.4 as a strict multifamily, you know, so it's going to exit at 28, 27. And my proposition is it's going to exit at that regardless of how I run it, because I've taken all the hair off the property. I've taken all the risk, right? So it comes back to real estate, right? You buy something with hair on it, take the hair off and sell it sh- nice and shiny. Right. And that's all I'm doing. Yeah. And, and what you did, I mean, you, cause like you said, you went through the entitlement process, you already converted. It's a multifamily. What, what happens on the inside? I mean, listen, you can maximize your exit if you make it as close to a normal multifamily as possible. And so I think you're kind of struggling with, all right, how do I actually do that and keep the cash coming in to tee it up for the next guy to buy it with, you know, their lender, they come in. So closer you can get to it being a conventional multifamily course, that's going to reflect in your exit price ultimately. But at the end of the day, I mean, you're making, you're sitting fat and happy with a ton of cash that's coming in on the asset. You have to sit back, you know, enjoy that your work, you work towards it. And then, you know, when it's, when it's time, you'll see where you're at in the process. And Hey, maybe even if you exit and you don't maximize that all the way, leave something on it for the next guy, which is, which is pretty awesome. And there's, there's other considerations though, right? So when you buy it, you don't have the entitlement, right? So I'm not able to get these deals by going in and saying, I need nine months to get my entitlements before I can buy. Nobody's right. going to give yep. you a deal doing that, right? Those days are over. Uh, so you got to come in, you got to have your legal team give you an assessment, right? Within a week, basically, of the probability. You're not going to know 100% before you close whether you can even do it. Some cities won't let you do it. They want the tax revenue. Right. So you can't, Michael, back to your question of, of why not just go full multifamily. You may run into some density issues, right? Bringing in long term leases right away before your entitlement. So you have to be prepared 
to run it as a short term in most cases, especially in markets like Tempe or certain cities that aren't that easy to do this. So again, this is more hair on the deal, right? You got to be able to run it as a, as a short term in the short term, right? You got to be able to underwrite your hold, which is very, very variable. And then you got the question marks. What do I do with the furniture? How do I remodel it? You know, so it's not a traditional multifamily play, right? Which kind of gives you the market to yourself, right? There's yes. no competition it's on these so deals. Cool. So when you're negotiating, so it's, cool. yeah. Serge, I love it, man. This, this has been so fantastic. How can people find out more about you? I'm on bigger pockets. You can find me there. LinkedIn, you know, <laughs> I'm not hard to find. Just, just hunt me down. Yeah. <laughs> I found you, Garrett. I found you, Garrett. I heard you yeah. on the podcast. You, you had great ideas on uh, on remodeling, right? On your value ads. I'm like, I got to talk to this guy because I'm in the middle of value add hell on all these complexes. I don't know what to do about this problem, that problem, all these problems. And uh, I found you. <laughs> yeah. Listen, good people find each other. Serge, it's, it's, uh, we, we've been talking for a minute ever since and we kind of hit it off and we're both local, but man, you've got such a fantastic story and it's been a pleasure to be able to have you on this podcast right away. After I talked to you, I'm like, we got to have them on because uh, you just bring so much value and this has been such a fun discussion. So thanks so much for being here, my man. And uh, look forward to chatting again. My pleasure. Dude, I love this strategy, man. Let's get into it. Man, I... I was so excited to bring Serge on, on the show or, or suggest that he come by because this is just something so cool that not everybody's actually figured out or is doing. And uh, he he's literally taking these hotel deals, buying them for a fraction of the dollar compared to a lot of the multifamily out there and just turning them into multifamily. And he's like, all right, here we go. I have this product. And so, man, what a what an awesome strategy, especially taking it and, and bridging the gap between that conversion by using Airbnb as part of the model. I love it. Well, the risk best definitely is the entitlement stuff. You better have a good team. that it's, it's all, During due diligence, you have to discover whether you can get the permits and the zoning for that. And if you don't, you better get out of that because if you're stuck running a hotel, that's not going to end well. So I think that's risk number one. And then the unknown for me is the Airbnb component. I mean, he's right. Getting a property manager to run short-term rentals. Mm, I, you know, I wish there was more property managers who'd be more opportunistic and, and run short-term rentals. I think if we apply that and we converted 10 to 15% of our apartments into short-term rentals, our cash flow would skyrocket. So I think it's something we should definitely sit down with our property managers and explore and see if they're open to it. Yeah. I mean, I, th I think that there's right now, there's just, there's just the Airbnb, the short-term rentals uh, side of property management. They like specialize in that. And then there's there's your property regular property managers of multifamily. There's not really anything in between there, and so that that's kind of a cool concept. I also think I think the structure is somewhat different. I mean, obviously you're kind of like running a hotel, but um, maybe there's opportunity for that out, out in the market for sure. You know, I think having these kind of assets, it's maybe a challenge to scale this type of business. But what he's doing is so innovative and and definitely disrupting the market. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think this highlights the fact that we should constantly always be looking for opportunities. And you know, we're doing it with our, with our properties as well. How can we incrementally increase the income and the NOI of these properties with like, you know, trash valet, or even we looked at creating a billboard or a cell tower, or even what incremental things can we do to, to increase revenue even slightly? Because if we can do that, we can pay fair market value even slightly above that because we've got something up our sleeve.
Yeah. And our, our strategy is, is so much different, but at the same time, the way we're, we're not so concerned on like, we'll go into a deal. Obviously we want to get a decent basis, but there has to be enough lift on the backside. And we have to know, see a very clear path to how we're going to add the value. So we'll go into deals like the one we're buying right now. And there's a very clear, a really good location, a very clear strategy forward with a ton of upside on the back end. And so, so it's not as much maybe red tape as something like this, but there's, there's something that's, we have to still set ourselves apart to get to that, that place of extreme value. And so very different strategies between what he's doing, what we're doing, but ultimately you're going to end in, in profit, hopefully. Yeah. Well, and it is quite a high barrier for entry to getting in there. We're talking about entitlements, the Airbnb stuff. It's not like he started, you know, last week. He's been doing it for a little while, but it certainly is interesting. And if you want to find out what's working right now, uh, make sure you check us out at Dealmaker Live. It's going to be in Dallas, July 16 to 17. And just go to the michaelblank.com forward slash DML to grab your tickets. They're already underway. We have an in-person component. I'm going to be there in person. Garrett's going to be there in person. Can't wait. It'll also be a live stream option if you care to join us uh, remotely as well. And uh, and that's going to be a great place for to get together, learn about apartment building investing, to network with others, find partners, find investors. If you yourself are interested in investing in one of our deals, uh, the last one, of course, is closed. But Garrett's busy hunting for new deals right now. We don't give him any time to rest. So if you want to talk to us, go to nighthawkequity.com and click the join button to join our investor club. Fill out a short form and then you can schedule a call with us and we'll be happy to show you some of our upcoming opportunities. So thanks so much for your time. Catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast with Michael Block. For more free podcasts, articles, and videos, go to themichaelblanc.com. There, you can also download the free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.